So we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regards to the body, but live according to God in regards to the spirit. The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gifts you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength of God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, the honour, the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Uh, My name's Sam. If we haven't met, I'm on the pastoral team here. It'd be great to meet you after church. Uh, But what we're going to do now is spend some time thinking about what we've just read in God's Word and how it applies to us. And I actually want to start with... I'll tell you about an experiment. I love experiments, people doing experiments. Let me tell you about an experiment that they did about 10 years ago looking into the human capacity to just sit and be. They got volunteers for this experiment and said, we want you to come and really just sit in this room. There's nothing in the room, so you're just kind of sitting there on a chair looking at this blank kind of, kind of wall. Uh, that's, that's all you've got to do. Now, the scientists, they're, they're pretty cruel people sometimes. They didn't give you a magazine to read. They didn't give you a book to read. They didn't give you a TV to watch. They didn't even let you have your phone. Can you imagine the humanity of this situation? No phone to even scroll through. You're just sitting there doing nothing. Here's the catch, though. The scientists, they weren't so cruel as to give you nothing to do. They did give you a button to push. They said to the the volunteers, look, if you get too bored, you get to push this button. And you'll notice it's got some wires coming out the back connected to your body, and that'll give you an electric shock. Isn't that kind of them? Those scientists. Hearts of gold, really, these kinds of people. In case you get bored, push the button and give yourself some pain. That's the kind of experiment we're looking at. How would you go? Who, who reckons they'd go pretty good? Who'd, who'd sit there and not even push the button? Who, who reckons they could sit there? Yeah. I think some of us think, you know what, that might be a holiday actually, sitting there with nothing to do. Who would be going for the button within a minute? Yeah, there's a few as well, thinking, what am I doing in this room? The results are interesting. It found that a quarter of the women in the experiment chose to push the button, a quarter, 25%. Jump to the guys two-thirds. Most of the guys are sitting there and say, I can't take any more, hit the button, I need some pain, that's better than sitting here with nothing to do. But the worst thing is how long the experiment took. 
it only went for 15 minutes. That's not that long for someone to think, you know what, I'd rather be suffering than experiencing this. Isn't that just a bit disturbing? We've lost our ability just to sit and to be. It probably flows over into our ability to sit and pray as well, I think. We're, we're in a different space. But this is the point of the experiment, the point I really want to, to make. The point is that in some situations, as human beings, we prefer pain. It seems counterintuitive. Often we hear suffering, we hear pain, and I think, no way, I don't want anything to do with that. But actually, in some circumstances, we do choose suffering instead of the alternative. Some circumstances. Everyone who went into that room, they had to fill out a survey on the way in, everyone said, would I like to be, uh, not electrocuted, the word, would I like to have electric shocks, or would I pay money to avoid that like the plague? And they said, I'd pay money. I'd do anything to get out of getting electric shocks. But there they are, hitting the button. The proof's in the pudding. As humans, we don't like suffering, we don't like pain, but sometimes we realise there are worse alternatives. Now, come to today's passage, what we've just read. The Bible's also going to give us two options, two spheres of life we can live in. One sphere, it's not boredom, there's a sphere of sin, of following our internal desires, following that, turning away from God. The other sphere is the sphere that has some suffering in it. It has some pain in it. And the Bible's going to show us as well that actually suffering's not uh, always the worst option. There are worse things. And so we're going to be encouraged to think about that and to embrace certain kinds of suffering. So why don't we pray and ask that God would give us clarity as we come to this part of his word. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you're not a God who is indifferent to our suffering, who doesn't care about our pain, but you're a God so deeply invested in us that you yourself came into this world to suffer on the cross that we could be set free and enjoy eternal life with you. As we seek to live uh, in these bodies, we pray that you'd help us to have very sharp minds to hear what you're saying, soft hearts to believe it, and strong wills to carry out what is good, not just what is easy. So we pray for these things tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we've got three points today, and hopefully you uh, received it in your bulletins on the way in. Uh, We're going to see that, first of all, Christ suffered in the body. Therefore, we should not live for sin, but rather live for the will of God. We'll work our way through them. So keep your Bibles open and look there in verse 1, the very start of the passage. Verse 1. It says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. If you look at the rest of the passage, it's full of commands. Here are some bad things. Don't do these things. Here are some good things. Do these things. Lots of commands. But we need to start very clearly with this verse because it's the heartbeat of the whole passage. If you jump to the commands in Christianity, you get morality without a motor. You get a hollow religion that cannot bring us to God no matter how hard you try. We have to start with the suffering of Christ. That's what it's all about. Christ suffered in his body. What does that mean? What do you think that means? Well, as the Bible talks about the suffering of Christ, there's all sorts of sufferings he had in his body. He was a human being just like you and me, suffered normally. But the focus of suffering in the Bible for Christ 
It's his suffering on the cross. We saw this last week in chapter 3. You can see it on the screen. It says that Christ suffered once for sins. The righteous, that's him. For the unrighteous, that's us. To bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. This is why the cross is such a, a central symbol in Christianity, isn't it? If you wanted to look at Christianity, it's, it's not about being a good person. It's not about morals. No, those things are not at the heart. At the very heart is this. Christ on the cross suffered the judgment for your sin and for mine so that we could freely be forgiven and return to God. That's at the very heart. That's why the cross is such a wonderful symbol for Christianity. But let's go a layer deeper. Because when it says that Christ suffered in the body, it's not just talking about his physical suffering. He suffered way more than physical, didn't he? Do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed, how he sweated? Father, take this cup from me. Do you remember on the cross as he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His suffering was far more than just physical. And there are some Bibles that more helpfully translate the word. Instead of body, they use the word flesh. Christ suffered in the flesh. And it's a more helpful word, flesh, because it actually ties into a bigger theme through Scripture. This theme that there's this whole realm, this whole sphere of existence characterized by the flesh in contrast to the spirit. The realm of the flesh in the Bible is a realm that's really earthly. Uh, It sees the world through human eyes, it thinks human thoughts, it follows human desires, uh, and that's the sort of thing it's into. The realm of the spirit, in contrast, is heavenly. See, it looks at the world not through human eyes, but tries to think, how does God see this situation? What does he think? How does he understand what's going on? Instead of following my desires, the one in the realm of the Spirit follows God's desires. It wants to be holy like him. These are the two realms that are being set up for us in the Bible. And so when we read that Christ suffered in the body or suffered in the realm of the flesh, he suffered to all of these things on the right, This whole way of living characterized by mere humanity. He suffered and died for sin so that uh, his people would no longer follow their desires but live for God. He's given us this pattern and saying to us, which realm will you live in? He's died so we can live in the realm of the Spirit. And he calls us to do that. So Christ suffered for our forgiveness, for our salvation, to bring us into the realm of the Spirit. And the implication is, therefore, we should not live For sin, even if it's the pain-free option, don't live for sin. Look there in verse 1 again, in verse 1. It says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, that's a realm of the flesh thing, but rather for the will of God, the realm of the Spirit. Arm yourselves, he says. Arm yourselves. What does that say to you? When someone says, arm yourself, what are you thinking? There's a, an attacker coming, isn't there? You better get ready to defend yourself. There's a, there's a threat you better pick up. Is it a sword, a spear, a gun? What do you arm yourself with? No, look. Arm yourself with the same attitude. It's a way of thinking. Arm yourself with the way of attitude. There's a threat, there's a challenge, and you need to have your head switched on right. The same attitude as Christ. What attitude is that? It's the attitude... That suffering is better than sin. Christ, instead of turning away from the Father, went to the cross. Suffering is better than sin. 
faithfulness, even when it hurts, is better than the alternative. What does this suffering look like? We've seen for Christ it was heading to the cross to die for our sins. But this passage spells out three different kinds of suffering uh, for the Christian. The first one is suffering in regards to our sinful desires. Look in verse 3. In verse 3 it says, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. It's quite a list, isn't it? How, how do you go with that list? When you read that, does that list, does that resonate? Is there something there that kind of hits your heart and you think, oh man, I, that's so true, that is me. For some of us, we might read that and think that. For others, we might read it and go, whoa, that's way out there, no way, that's, like, that's a Hollywood movie, that's not my life, that's not, not reality. I wonder if it resonates with you or not. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was driving home in the car, just listening to the radio, and uh, they talked about a, a study that was done looking at different countries' addictive habits. There were some, some people who did this research and they wanted to compare who's the most addicted country to, to what thing. And so they used data from the World Health Organization, from the National Library of Medicine, from those kinds of groups, to look at people's behaviours. And it found out that Australia, we weren't the most addicted country, we were like number three overall, but when it came to addiction to sex, we were number one. When it came to behaviours of Australians, such as the number of partners per year, the age at which people start having sex, the rates of STDs, not to mention pornography use, our behaviours actually correspond to a widespread addiction to sex. And so coming back to that list of debauchery and lust, it, it kind of sounds out there in a way, but actually the study shows that's our country, that's our nation, that's our culture, is that us? There are all sorts of things that hit a bit closer to home when we stop and reflect on them. I think idolatry is probably another one that, that jumps out. Uh, that if you're looking at this list thinking, oh, I'm not sure, idolatry I think gets all of us. Because what's idolatry? How do you define idolatry? What, what is it? At its heart, idolatry, it's not about little statues and, and other gods. Idolatry is where we take God out of his rightful place in our life, worthy of glory, of praise, of being our greatest motivation and, and those sorts of things. We take him down and we replace him with something else, some kind of idol. And I think usually the, the idol that we tend to replace God with is the person we see each morning in the mirror. You know, it's easy, isn't it, to prioritise my happiness over God's glory my reputation over, over God's glory, my, my family, my education, my career, my success. It's very easy, isn't it, to make those things number one in this life. Those are the things that I change the rest of my week around to make sure I, I hit those. And it's tricky because they're good things, isn't it? Family's good, education's good, reputation's good, career is, is good. But none of them deserve that top place. None of them deserve the, the praise and worship or the whole life shaped around them the way that our Creator deserves. So we're called to embrace the daily suffering, Jesus says, resisting our evil desires. Our heart's going to say, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this. And he says, that's in the sphere of sin, the sphere of flesh. And so he says, embrace the suffering of saying no to your heart's desire. Instead, follow God. That's the first form of suffering. 
The second form of suffering is resisting our past patterns. Do you see that in verse 3? Look in verse 3 again. He says, you have spent enough time in the past doing these things. Just pause there. You've spent enough time doing these things. When Peter writes to his readers, he's not kind of writing to a, a blank slate, people with no past. He's writing to people like us, people who do have a past and a history, people who've made decisions day after day after day uh, and turn those decisions into habits and patterns and all sorts of things. It changes the, the scene. I remember making a, a resolution one year, New Year's resolution. Uh, it was a bit of a challenge with friends, really, and that's really it's competitive, so it's interesting, so therefore, why not do it? Uh, I made a resolution not to eat any chocolate for the year or any, um, what's the drink, soft drink for a year. I thought, nah, too much sugar, that's all right. Um, Better for my health, all those sorts of things. And my friends are going to try it, so I want to beat them at it because I was very competitive at the time. So that's my resolution. Now, the funny thing was the, the side effects of not eating as much of this kind of food. Because as each kind of day went past, things like fruit started to taste a lot richer than they had before. My palate kind of resensitized just to the basic flavors of, of other foods. And so as I put off those super sweet foods and, and started eating, I'm back onto them now. Like there's no, no <laughs> not, not on a soap, soapbox about it. That's all right. Um, as I tasted the food, though, it was much richer. The joy that entered my life through those foods more than made up for the, the loss of the super sweet food. But, but this is the point. Whatever decision we make today and tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow... It's going to desensitize us to a certain way of living. Our past choices will desensitize us to a certain way of living. If we live each day making uh, choices in the realm of the flesh, satisfying my desires, it's going to seem like the normal thing to do. We're called to suffer by changing. You know, if, if the Bible says don't gossip about someone, don't talk about people behind their back, don't do that malicious thing, if you've never done that, it's pretty easy, right? That's pretty easy. But if every day you've, you've just been kind of blurring the lines with the things you share about people, gee, that's a lot harder to change 20 years down the track. You get in that groove, you get in that pattern, you get in that habit. And so he calls us to suffer by changing our long-term patterns. Part of the suffering for, for sin that's kind of embedded in our lives might be swallowing our pride. It might be speaking to someone at growth group and saying, you know what, I've, I've been struggling with this sin for the past five years. And I just can't seem to kick it. I, I seem to have some time where I can repent of it and resist this sin, but other times it just seems to overwhelm my life. Is it the kind of thing you could share with a friend at growth group or, or someone else? Say, can you pray for me? Can you just help me overcome this sin? Christ says we've got to. We've got to change. He died for these things. Let's not live in them any longer. The third and final source of suffering is suffering by being... Oh, there's my happy fruit. Won't change, it's too happy. Uh, suffering by being heckled. Look in verse 4 at the heckling these guys get. In verse 4 it says, They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. These are the people around the, uh, the recipients of this letter that Peter's writing. As his followers turn and change their lives to follow Christ, they get heckled, they get abused. If you've become a Christian later in life, you've probably noticed this. You've got certain patterns of relating to people. And when you make a big change, they notice. 
And being good Australians, they'll point it out and have a laugh or two. That's, that's the way we relate as Australians. I remember getting heckled for being a Christian. And I remember having to think through, you know what, this stinks. They're good friends. I like them, but it's really annoying. Um, but at the end of the day, coming back to, all right, what, what really matters? Is it the opinion of my friends or the opinion of my God? We don't like being heckled, but when you step back and see the big picture, we'd rather follow our God, wouldn't we? rather than give in to the crowd. So those are three sources of suffering we're called to embrace. Instead of indulging whatever our hearts want, let's suffer by resisting that. Let's follow what's good. Instead of living according to our past pattern of life, whatever habit that is, let's suffer by changing, by repenting, by confessing to a friend and asking for help. That's suffering. And instead of just fitting in, suffering by willing to stand out, cop the heckle, whatever it is, we follow the Lord. How does that sound to you? It's a bit, of a bit of a glum thing, isn't it? Here's some suffering, here's some suffering. We don't like that. I don't like suffering. We think that we don't like suffering, but actually we do know sometimes suffering is better than the alternative. Sometimes people push the red button and say, you know what? Suffering might be bad, but there are worse things. I think we need to recapture that in our lives. Verse 5 puts it all in perspective. Look there in verse 5. Verse 5 says, but they, that's those who heap abuse on you, they, they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. That's big picture. Verse 6, for this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regards to the body or the realm of the flesh, but live according to God in regard to the spirit or the realm of the spirit. Doesn't that put it in perspective? Suffering seems bad, it seems hard, but when judgment day is sitting right there, suddenly it changes the picture. Suddenly it changes what we can put up with in the short term. And this is where he transitions to the next point. Christ suffered in the body, so we no longer live for sin, rather we live for the will of God. And in verse 7, he continues this theme. Let's fast forward that one. Let's look at verse 7. Live for the will of God. In verse 7, he says, The end of all things is near. So judgment is still in view. The end is near. Just pause there, actually. What would you do? You've got a week. Jesus says, All right, guys, I'm coming back in a week. What would you do? I wonder what your neighbors would do. I think if, if you rewind my life a bit, I've got a week to live. I'm going to go and enjoy it as much as possible. I'm going to fulfill my desires. That's, that's kind of a lawless way of living. That's just sin in my heart, really, taking, taking the most of that opportunity. Actually, the logic here is, if there's only a week to live, you better pray. You better pray. Do you see that in verse 7? The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded so you may pray. Is that what would have jumped into your head if you said, Jesus is coming back in a week, I better pray? It's probably not the top of our list. It doesn't instinctively come to us the way it should. But why should we pray? Well, Peter's been telling us that there is sin in us that wages war against our souls. We have evil human desires in our hearts that would love to drag us away from following Christ to go and satisfy ourselves. We've got patterns of life running against us. We've got friends heckling us. And what's more, you have an enemy, the devil, prowling around like a lion looking to devour you. So of course we pray. God, help me. Sustain me. Are you ready for Christ to return? 
We better be ready. It could be any time. Since being raised from the dead, Christ stands ready to judge the living and the dead. He could come back tomorrow. Are you ready? Is your soul resting in his hands? Are you resting with him? We better pray and be ready. But the next thing we're called to do is to love in verse 8. Look in verse 8. It says, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Something I've noticed, I'm not sure if I've noticed it or someone's pointed it out or, or what it is, there's almost this trendy thing these days to be offended. Have you noticed that it's almost someone will say something that could possibly be interpreted the wrong way uh, and, and they get jumped on. It's almost a race to take, I can't believe they said that. Can they? That's so offensive. Are you offended? You better be offended because if you're not, then you're as bad as them. It, there's this, this race to be offended. And it creates a very timid kind of context where fearful will offend someone. But, but as Christians, we should be very slow to be offended, shouldn't we? Very slow to be offended, very quick to forgive, because that's the way God's been to us. We were offensive to him in our lives and our sin following those ways, and he sent his son to die for us. And so we want to be people who always try and interpret things in the best light. When someone says something and you think, oh, I could be offended about that, just think, is that what they meant? Is that what they actually intended? Maybe it was a slip of the tongue. Maybe this person expresses things in different ways than I tend to express them. Let's be slow to be offended and very quick to be forgiving and loving. Love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, a quick sidebar, I should say this verse is never a cover-up for abuse. Uh, Love doesn't cover over a multitude of sins if someone's kind of consistently uh, mistreating and abusing someone. It's actually not loving to, to cover that up. It's more loving to expose that because that person has to answer to Christ who is ready to judge the living and the dead. We want them to be ready. We want time for repentance. There's no chance after death. So this isn't a cover-up for abuse. Let's keep going. Hospitality is the next thing we're called to. Look in verse 9. Verse 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now I'm going to skip over this one because that's our church weekend away. We're actually going to devote some time to hospitality. How can we, how can we share the gospel through, through food and having people over, those sorts of things? Make sure to register. I've got to register by Wednesday. That's the cutoff. Just a reminder. Uh, it's going to be a fantastic time, but we'll keep moving for now uh, past hospitality. The next thing we're called to do is to serve. Look in verse 10. It says, Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Isn't this a wonderful way to live, serving others? Do you like the sound of that, serving others? It's the polar opposite, isn't it, of the, the desires in our sinful hearts, of, of living to satisfy ourselves. It's living, in a sense, to satisfy others. Have others got the warm welcome? Have they been, been loved the way they need? This is life in the Spirit. It looks outwards. Christ didn't come to be served, did he? But to serve others, to lay down his life. Now, service has many different aspects to it. There are, there are formal and informal ways we can serve. Formal ways, at a church like this, you could help with the, the creche, the kids, the youth ministries, run a growth group, help with the tech team. There, there are formal ministries that you can serve in. But there are so many informal ways too, aren't there? At supper, is it looking for your friend first or looking for the new person? Go, go and welcome them in. Or is someone sick uh, in your growth group, can you, can you do the lawn for them? Can you do the groceries for them? Can you just help them out? That's a, a servant heart. We've got chairs to pack up each week. And I, I rejoice at the, 
uh, the servant hearts we have in this church that jump in there. Or it's coming to church early to welcome others. That's a wonderful way to serve others the way Christ served us. Another great way to serve is to register for weekend away before Wednesday. Did I, get, did I mention that? Yep. It's time to register. Let's get there. It'll be a fantastic time together. But there are so many ways, aren't there, that the love of God in his service to us actually opens our eyes to the whole world of serving others. What a better sphere to live in than the sphere of self-centered desire. So that's life in the realm of the Spirit. It looks to God in prayer. It looks to others in love, hospitality and service. And finally, it does it all not for its own recognition, but so God gets the glory. I love this. It really hammers this point towards the end. We'll see it in a sec. But doesn't this just nail our sinful hearts? You could go through the list of all the, the drunkenness and carousing and go, no, 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 I'm all good, all good, all good. Come through this list and go, all right, I'm, I'm going to love people, I'm going to do hospitality, I'm going to serve, I'm going to do those sorts of things. You could get that far and do it all with the motivation that people would look at you and go, what a good person that is. What a good guy. What a, what a, what a great person that is. You could do that, couldn't you? It nails our hearts. That's sin in our hearts. It's the arrogance and pride that bubbles away even under the good things that we do. And so this final verse really just hammers that and directs us in a much better way. Look in verse 11. I'm going to read this. I'll finish up here and then pray. So look at verse 11. I'll read it out. It says, If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. Why? So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that a good finish? Let's bow our heads. We'll pray and give God the glory. Our Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you that you're not a God consumed with your own uh, desires in, in sin or anything like that, but you're a holy God, a righteous God, a just God, a loving God. A God who delights to bless others. So we thank you and praise you that Christ suffered in the flesh for us to give us the free forgiveness at the entire cost to him. Father, we now pray by the Spirit that you would help us to live in the realm of the Spirit. Help us to put off those old ways of life. Give us courage to confess our sins to friends who can help us and pray for us and urge us on. We pray, Lord, that we would grow to be more and more a church marked by the things of God and less and less by the things of the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.